Welcome back to the Mighty Merp Podcast. I'm Melissa Rosenblum, your host, and also known as Mighty Merp. I'm here today with Tracy Frederick. Tracy is a lawyer, a former public defender at the Philadelphia Public Defender's Office, also a former assistant federal defender. She's an owner of her own law firm, life coach, and now founder of a new business. And I would say that Tracy's a really great example of all the different paths a lawyer and especially a woman lawyer can take in her career. Um, Welcome, Tracy. Thanks so much for having me, Melissa. It's great to see you. I know I haven't seen you in so long. So long, but I will tell you, you look exactly the same. So (laughs) that's a good thing. Thanks. It's a filters. So I think that uh, we knew each other when I would uh, I would say we were baby lawyers. Yes, many many moons ago. I remember when you I remember when you left the state office. It was a long time ago. It was um, uh, three pregnancies ago, four babies ago, right? It was after my uh, youngest. So, yeah. Um, Four kids in four years just tipped it over. I had a I had a pivot for a few years. I remember that. Oh, it was crazy, crazy. I've had three, but they were spread out a little more than yours. So. Yeah, I I I was a little crazy. Um, so you obviously are a lawyer and went to law school, and so I always like to ask: Did you when you? We're growing up. Did you always want to be a lawyer? Was that a goal of yours initially? Did you know that was what you wanted to do? It's really interesting. I sort of knew, like I was always really into crime shows, crime books, um, you know, watching things about trials, even when I was young, but I didn't know I really wanted to be a lawyer. There were no lawyers in my family. Um, and <laughs> I did really well in college. And so I just decided to go to law school, but I wasn't, it wasn't like I knew I definitely wanted to be a criminal defense lawyer or what I really wanted to do. I just thought, okay, I'm a great student. I'll go to law school. And to be truthful, I hated law school. Um, When I started (laughs) law school, I despised it and um, was highly considering leaving um, because I was so unhappy. Mm -hmm. But after the first year I interned at the San Diego public defender's office And Mm -hmm. I found what I wanted to do. So then I was super pumped to finish law school because I knew that what I was going to do was nothing like what I was experiencing in law school. (laughs) Right. Where did you go to law school? I went to BU, Boston University. Right. It's funny. I really enjoyed law school. I knew what I wanted to do. If I could be a law student or a law professor full time now, I probably would choose that. Um, but, um, I also did really enjoy being a lawyer. Um, so after your first year, you knew public defense, um, and you're from Massachusetts area. Yeah. I grew up in Mass in New Hampshire and, um, that's sort of part of the reason I ended up back in Boston. I went to Penn state Mm -hmm. undergrad left and wanted to get back closer to home. So. And how'd you end up in Philly at the public defender's office there? That was, I knew I wanted to be a PD. Um, and at the time, um, and I'm sure it's pretty much still the same, like Philly was one of the best offices in the country. And so it came down between Philly and Miami. And I just mm-hmm. love Philly. So I ended up going there and I, it was definitely the right decision for sure. Right. I always tell young lawyers that if they want to learn how to be a trial attorney and they're interested in criminal defense work, you will be taught from the day you walk in till the day you leave how to it's, be an effective attorney. It's so true. I mean, that that place has um, great training, amazing mentors. I mean, there's there's I can't imagine any place that would be better for learning. Right. So you went from the state to being a public defender in the state to being a public defender at the federal public defender's office. Was that in Philly as well? It was initially I was in Philly. Um, I went to the federal office in Philly um, and I was there for quite a few years. And then my husband got a job transfer to Connecticut. 
And so I was actually able to transfer to the federal defender in Connecticut. Um, and that was the last place I practiced as a federal defender. I really, really enjoyed Big difference being... between... Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to ask whether what you think or thought the big difference between being a public defender as a state, as a working for Philadelphia versus handling federal crimes. It was so different. Um, the money right, is definitely different. That's the thing that everybody, when you're young, is like, oh, I just want to make more money. Um, that was a huge difference. But honestly... I did so many jury trials at the public defender's state office in Philly. I, I had to try over 30 cases just for juries and then forget all the waivers. And I loved it. Um, it was kind of like, you know, fly by the seat of your pants, be creative, you know, a little bit more loose. And then when I went to the federal office, unfortunately, especially when I first started, the federal guidelines were it was just, it was, I think it was mandatory initially, and then it changed, but um, you just didn't have a lot of leeway. And the feds really weren't indicting cases unless they were very solid for them. So there were, were not a lot of trials. Uh, a lot yeah. of pleas. You didn't win the trials. You did try. Generally, it was so different than the state office. Well, I always say, of what my experience is, and I used to handle federal cases more when I started in private practice. And I, I really opt not to, for the most part, unless the person comes in and I can make them into a witness pretty quickly, either a material witness or a cooperating witness. And the reason why is I always tell people, by the time you know you're being charged federally, the, the case is usually all prepared and like wrapped up in a nice present. And when they like execute the warrants, they're just like fixing the bow on it. And then it's like all done, right? They, they're so ready true. to try it at that point where in the state cases, you know, it's really, as you said, it's like very fast and it's, you know, these charges, I jokingly say, I could go to a police department and say, Tracy Patrick, Frederick just pushed me down and stole $20 and half the departments would be like, you're charged with robbery now. Right. Totally. So. Yeah, it is very different. It's, um, and it's hard. And I think that was a hard transition for me initially because you went from winning so many cases in Philly and really getting a fair trial to going to federal court where you felt like everything was just stacked against your client because they'd wiretapped for so long and done all these things and had all these cooperators and, by the time you come in, you know, it's it's just too late to even help. Have to, you know, you feel your help because nobody needs an attorney more than somebody with it stacked against them that hard. But at the same time, right. you can't really do much. You know, you find out your client's given a statement already. You know, like they've already talked to him. I mean, it's, it's just hard and frustrating sometimes, yeah. <laughs> especially for the defendant. I'm sure. So, yeah, don't give statements. I, I, every podcast, I just pretty much shout, don't talk to police. Don't give a oh, statement. Gosh. So, I know. <laughs> um, so in between this from uh, Philly to Connecticut, um, and then you went into your, you opened up your own firm. So I'm going to ask a weird question. Maybe it's not weird, but you said you had three kids. Where are the kids in between on this uh as you're, you know, building your career and your reputation and becoming a, you know, a trial attorney and then opening up your own practice, where were the kids in this? The kids were, so and when I was at the state office, I didn't have kids, um, which allowed me to work tons of hours and kind of build up my reputation and the learning that you talked about there. Um, when I went to the federal office, I actually went there as job share because I knew I was about to have kids. Um, so I went there as a part-time attorney and um, I had two, my two oldest back to back there, they're 10 months apart and the oldest is adopted. Um, so it was crazy because I had these two babies and as you know, cause you had four of them like that. Um, and so I was at the federal office in Philly and then I had my third, about five years later, six years later, and I was still at the federal office in Philly, but I then left to go to Connecticut within like the first, within his first year. 
So I was always at a federal defender while I had the kids, you know, when they were born. Um, when I got to Connecticut, I really started getting challenged with the balance um, because the way the courts were set up in Connecticut, there were three different federal courts that were not close to each other, like driving. The prison was a two hour drive away in, in uh, Rhode mm -hmm. Island. Um, and there was mm -hmm. just so much time burned with travel. And I started feeling super pressured and overwhelmed trying to care for the kids, you know, while I was there. And I, I went mm -hmm. back and forth there. I went part-time, I went full-time because I was still working full-time. So I'm like, why am I giving up half the salary? I'm just gonna go full-time. Mm -hmm. To the point where I burned out so much that I stepped away from it. Um, and so I gave my notice, left, um, and I just wasn't sure like what I was gonna do at that point. And so I took only about five months or so before I decided to open up my own practice because I felt like if I did that, maybe I could kind of like create what I wanted, control my schedule a little bit more, um, which worked to some extent, but it wasn't the magic end all be all. <laughs> so. Yeah, there's a lot of other responsibilities having your own firm. There's, you know, um, so there's the benefit when you work for either uh, a state job or a federal job of certain guaranteed salary and benefits, which is really nice. Um, even when I worked um, with my former partner, it was a guaranteed paycheck every month. Um, and there's comfort in that, you know, of knowing you're going to get a check. The opening up your own business, there there can be that freedom of coming and going or working around your kid's schedule. But there's also that pressure of bringing in business and making money, um, which is, you know, can be extremely stressful. Yes, it can. I, I think that... Um... It's it just, you know, as a mom, um, it's you just feel this pressure all the time because you feel pressure from work. Like I need to be producing and cranking it out. And I'm so type A that I want everything to be perfect and I want to give it all my all. And then with the kids, you feel the same way. Like somehow you need to be mom of the year and do all the things. And it just gets to a point where it's not realistic. You know, something's got to give. Um, for me, my health gave, that was, that was a big issue for me. I ended up having a very serious heart issue after my youngest was born. Mm -hmm. And even that wasn't really enough for me to slow down, you know, initially. Uh, it ultimately was like the first glimmer of going, you need to make a change. Um, but I feel like women mm -hmm. so much, we just don't listen to ourselves. And we don't listen to what our bodies are telling us, you know, uh, or our stress levels are telling us, like whatever those things are. And I'm always trying to tell young lawyers, there are ways to like make some changes that doesn't mean you need to quit your job, um, but just to do things a little bit differently that might give you some relief. Right. I always say too that there's, uh, if you like being a lawyer and, and I did when I was younger, when I, I loved it at the public defender's office, but then I, I, taught at Rowan when my youngest was born after that at Rowan University, because at the time when my youngest was born, it was a four-year-old, two two-year-olds and a one-year-old. And I couldn't keep up with the pace of being a lawyer. And, um, and so what I always describe it as is that like I had to tap the brakes professionally. I, I didn't fully stop working. I, I, was doing something with my legal career. I was teaching as an adjunct professor, but I tapped on the brakes so that I could be that mom for my kids. And I'm type A. I think most women lawyers, successful lawyers are, especially trial attorneys. And so I was able to be the super mom that I wanted to be when they were little. And I was still working. And I didn't go back to work full time until my youngest went to kindergarten. And I did go back part-time. My job was part-time for like 30 seconds. And it was the same thing. If I'm working full-time hours, then I should get paid full-time work. And 
I tell young lawyers now that I probably have been more successful the second time, I call it my second time lawyering, coming back at, you know, closer to 40. And I also tell young lawyers that I think all the success, like the success that people see of like acknowledgements and awards and, you know, and, and you want to be like this attorney have come after the age of 40 years old. And so I think young lawyers think there's a race to get it all done at a certain age. And I don't really believe in that anymore. Yeah, that's so true. I've never even thought of that. But the pressure you put on yourself as a young lawyer to to get all the achievements and, you know, get the recognition for everything you're doing. And you're right. The truth is most of that really doesn't happen until later in your career anyway. When you've spent a lot of time gaining a reputation, gaining experience, you know, all, all the things that go along with time. Yeah. I mean, I remember at the public defender's office, like when, you know, we started in a group of a class of attorneys and they would move attorneys after, you know, anywhere from two months to three months to the next unit. And there always had to be people that move first and then people that move second and move people that move last. And I would say I was not ever the first attorney in the group to move. And in hindsight, like at the time, it seems so big. And now I'm like, you know, it's just such a small thing in my career. Nobody would right. remember, you know. So true. So, so, um, so you pivoted, which is what I describe as realizing that whatever that pace is and that that working um, is is no longer bringing you the fulfillment or the joy that it did and you decided to pivot. So I know you mentioned you had some health issues. Were there other issues or reasons of uh, pivoting? Cause you're, if I'm right, you're not practicing law anymore, right? No, I've totally shifted. Um, yeah, there so were, there were a few pivots in between though. It was right. There were, there were a couple pivots in between. Like I, I went to my, the own, my own practice. Um, I did that after um, my health issue. Um, so I didn't really slow down um, initially as I probably should have. And, but it became exactly what you're saying, like increasingly apparent to me that I just could not continue to keep that pace and practice law the way that I needed to practice law. And so, um, or be a mom the way I needed to be a mom. Like to, those two things just were not lining up anymore. So, some of the things that became really challenging as things progressed, two of my kids have pretty profound learning disabilities. And so mm -hmm. I was just constantly in IEP meetings, constantly advocating. Um, it, it's just people don't know unless they're in ed law or have a child, like how much extra work goes into that. And you have to do it. You want to do it. Um, but it's a, it's a reality in terms of just your schedule and trying to schedule in all of these extra meetings. So that became right. more and you have challenging. to advocate in the in public schools. You have to advocate because if you're not there to do that if advocating, anyone with a child that has either an IEP or five or four or any other special needs, if you're not the one there ensuring it, um, whether you're an attorney or not, just being there as a mom, then you know if they're not if they, as I'll say many schools if they don't need to give the services if they're not being pressured to give the services, they don't always give the services. It's true. You have to always be on top of it, um, which is a full-time job in and itself. You know, it can be, especially with multiple kids. Um, and I was doing that and I was like pushing through and kept saying, you know, it's all right. You can still manage all this. It's still all afloat. Like it's, it's going to be okay. And then my son became very ill. Um, with an autoimmune disorder. And that was like the nail in the coffin, really, um, mm -hmm. because I had no choice. I was, it was so disruptive that I just had to step away from my practice and I had my own practice at that point. So I quickly had to pivot and just start getting rid of cases, um, which, you know, owning your own practice is stressful because you've got all these obligations and, and different things. So but when you're faced with a crisis, you just deal with it. So um, right. you focus 
the child first. How old was your child? And at the time he was five, um, very yeah. young. And so, and this is all happening like in the middle of the pandemic, you know, early on really in the pandemic. And so there were just so many things going on, you know, between everything's, you know, on zoom with court, um, and everything was just a little bit strange. We're trying to figure out what's going on. We figured it out, but I just knew there was no way at that point that I could continue. There's no way my husband and I could continue in these demanding jobs. And mm -hmm. I knew I needed to be there, that I wouldn't be comfortable if I wasn't there. So I quickly started moving away, got rid of almost all my cases, but for one that I'd kept because I thought it was going to resolve, still doesn't have a verdict, uh, a ruling on it, which is crazy. <laughs> so that was where like the real pivot came that kind of forced me into a change. And we moved at that time too. Once he was getting better, we knew what was going on. We ended up moving up to New Hampshire. Um, yeah, and so, so I, I have to interrupt you and ask how your son is, because I can't, this is like, I can't move on. I to know the rest. he's doing I'm great. Sorry. He's no, 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 he's doing great. Um, it's one of these uh, things that we still like, have some little um, ups and downs with it, but he's doing great. So thank God. Um, but it was a long haul to get there. So mm -hmm. thanks for asking. But that was the shift kind of like with, with him when that happened. And then I really did step away. I realized. Right. And I, I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you on the, now that we know that he's okay about the closing of firm, closing a practice it's, it is really hard legally to shut down a law firm, especially when you have clients that paid you money, that there might be, you know, it's not as easy to just say, I'm done. Um, you have to let the, let the clients know, you have to write letters, you might have to have other lawyers step in, you, it is not just, here's your file and I'm done. It's, it's yeah. not simple like that. No, no. It's, it was a lot. Um, and I just took it step by step, you know, and plus it was the first time I'd done it. Right. So I had to make sure that I did all the things correctly. I mean, that was the other thing. And even now still with my website, I'm still not my website, my email, I'm still monitoring because if anything weird comes in, you know, you've mm -hmm. got to handle it. So I, I feel like I'm knocking on what, as I say this at the point now where everything has settled out. And if something comes up, that's critical, someone will just call me. Um, but it was, it was complicated for sure. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, they know you're not practicing now. So if it came up with your name on it, um, that makes a huge difference. And I don't know, I'm sure you've listened to every mighty Mart podcast that there is, but, uh, one of my friends, Meg Horner, who was a criminal defense attorney, who actually worked at the district attorney's office in Philadelphia while we were both there. I remember. Um, she closed her criminal practice. She's been closed now, I think a little more than a year. And she still has like one or two cases that she hasn't been able to completely shut down. And, you know, uh, you know, the courts here know that I'm friendly with her. And every once in a while, her name will come up and I'll say, she's not handling that case anymore. Or, or the judge will say, I've stood in on a case recently. And the judge called me sidebar and said, I thought that the practice was closed. And I said, it is. This is like the one remaining case, which is why I'm here handling it for her. So it takes, it's over a year. It's been a long process. The same thing happened to me. I didn't officially close the doors probably until this May or June last year because I just had some things mm -hmm. lingering. So I had to keep the, you know, the business entity open it just in case those things, you know, came through. And finally I was like, okay, I can close this down. And, but yes, things linger. And I, I do think you're right. Once people know it, but it takes a while for everybody to know that you're not practicing anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was the big pivot. So what are you doing now? And I also love to ask how you got there, because I think that's interesting. I'm assuming just from like sort of how you pivoted to begin with. Yeah. Um, when I was trying to decide, you know, even when I had my practice, I got my own coach. Um, 
I think I had heard a podcast, heard a coach. I hadn't been familiar with coaching at the time. And um, my coach is Wendy McCallum, who's great. And so I, and she's also a former lawyer, um, Canadian lawyer, turned coach. And so I discovered coaching. I was working through kind of what I was going to do. What did this look like? Because I felt like my identity was completely wrapped up and being a defense attorney, like that was it. That's who I was. And it was a massive shift to step back. But I realized that I couldn't be trying cases the way I wanted to anymore. That just was not practical with the demands in my personal life. Um, and I, I needed to find a way to accept that move forward. And in that time frame, I got certified. Um, I've had several certifications since, but I became a certified coach. Not quite sure, like at the time, what I was going to do with it, how it was going to work. But in the process of doing that, I've sent now I'm doing two things with with the coaching. Um, I'm coaching at the Defender Association, um, new managers. So I'm doing executive coaching, which is so great because I'm I feel like I'm still contributing to the cause and the office that I love mm -hmm. so much, but doing it in a way that I can manage. Um, which is, you know, would I love to be there trying cases? Sure, that would be amazing, but it's just not realistic. Um, with the time, are you doing that, that with the Defender Association in Philly, or just different Defender Associations? In Philly, right now, I'm doing it in Philly. Um, That's great. It's awesome. Um, and I also co-founded um, a retreat, women's international retreat business, with a business partner, Lori Martin, and we are hosting retreats. It's called Go Limitless Retreats. The website's letsgolimitless.com. And we take women that are literally in the same position I was in, and Lori's been there too, that are just feeling overwhelmed and stuck and don't know what to do next. And just can't, like they know something needs to change, but they can't figure out kind of how to even start, which I felt in that space for quite some time before I made the changes that I needed to. So we try to jumpstart that on a five-day retreat where you're away from everything, you're disconnected, doesn't need to be 100%, but as much as possible. And we do a bunch of workshops in the five days that are like melded directly into the environment. So it's fun. It's definitely geared towards type A women. Um, it's so funny when we do calls, when we do sales calls with women you feel like you're talking to yourself like a younger version. I'm like, Oh, hopefully I can break her of this insanity before I did. I waited too long. Hopefully, you know, we can influence some of the younger girls to, to see the light a little bit sooner and make some changes that make their lives um, a little bit less hectic. Yeah. I think that, um, I think I'm a few years older, but I always consider us of the same contemporaries. And I feel like, our generation of women who were, you know, I, I know that I was, uh, grew up being like the first athletic group of women who played sports. Like my, we didn't have travel teams or all-star teams until I was hitting middle school. And then I was in that first group. And we were told that uh, we could do anything and be anything. At least I was by both my parents, but especially my father who loved like, the fact that I was like this tiny kid who was very competitive and athletic and, and that, that transformed into, you know, my law practice and, you know, that competitiveness. But I think that the idea that we took of we could do it all and got interpreted to we should do it all. And so we did, you know, we had these high careers and we also had these families, but we, you know, I would say I had a very traditional marriage still. Like I was still like doing everything at home and doing everything at work and wanting to have like, you know, the perfect birthday parties and have everything look good and, you know, still bring the cupcakes in with the spider web designs for the Halloween party and still have this career. And I just think it becomes overwhelming when you're, trying to have that high level in every aspect, especially when um, you might not have a partner that is, you know, I, I will say my husband was great in so many ways, and um, but he 
is 14 years older than me and he's a baby boomer. And I think he really did expect me had this like traditional, like you're the wife, you do everything. It wasn't really equal in that house, you know? And um, I do think that, you know, as someone who's a parent of kids in college and and a little older, I I think young women will not accept or accept everything that we did. I think they're gonna say, we're not doing it all. Like we did it all. Does that make sense? It's so, it, it really does because I've had this same conversation with a girlfriend recently and you're the only other person I've heard say it um, also in our age group, which is exactly that, that we, I, I think because we were that generation that, that grew up as kind of the first women that were expected to be able to do anything different than our moms. Um, we took that to mean we had to, and everything we did had to be perfect. Right. And mm -hmm. It's not true. Um, and then I felt like even, you know, with the Sheryl Sandberg lean in, you know, you can do it all. Like you can't do it all. It's just not realistic. Um, now I'm not saying, you know, no, you can't be a CEO and have kids or of course people do it all the time, but there's a cost to everything. And if you're not willing to admit that and kind of plan your life for that, it just becomes, untenable and unmanageable. So I, I'm fortunate in that my husband actually has been so involved and picks up so much slack, but I still find myself feeling guilty about that. Um, thinking, mm -hmm. well, I should be able to do all this. Like, why do I have to have Seth handle X, Y, and Z, which is crazy. I mean, we, they're both of our children. <laughs> they're all our children. Like, right. We're both the parents. Um, but I could see absolutely, especially, I forgot your husband's a lot older. It makes a difference. I mean, they, they just, they view things differently. Each of our generations does. So I hope you're yeah, right. And I these... don't think he consciously did it. No. Yeah. I don't think it was a conscious decision. I think it was how he was, you know, sort of raised an expectation. Um, Shonda Rhimes has a quote that I always relate to. I've said this to other women. Some of them have agreed and some of them haven't, but she talks about being this major writer and producer, and she has said, like, when I'm achieving all of this at work, I'm usually failing at something at home. And when I'm able to accomplish and be that super mom at home, I'm probably failing something at work with the idea that, you know, you can't, you can't be at that highest level with everything all the time. Or, you know, people talk about the balls in the air. How many balls in the air can you juggle before something falls? Yeah, I totally relate to that um, that quote because I, I feel that way. Um, it's, I feel like when I'm killing it at home, you know, I'm really dialed in to what's going on at home. I am missing something elsewhere. Um, and then vice versa. I mean, launching this business re recently, I've had to put a lot of work into it. And I'm working at night and doing these things, which I absolutely, it's not long-term and it's already slowing down now that our marketing's out, but it was a lot. And I always, and I, I still suffer from that mom guilt, you know, of if I am putting a ton of energy into work that, and I'm not doing it at home, I feel guilty. And then if, you know, the same thing, if I'm not doing stuff that I feel like I should be doing for work because I'm at home, I'm feeling guilty. And that that's uh that's the struggle that many of us have faced so it's and it's tough yeah so the retreats that you do which is so interesting to me is it so i get that it's there's this uh building workshop built into the retreats but are the retreats also uh vacation or travel retreats is there like a component of relaxation or traveling that's uh, yeah, there's, hand in there's hand both. with the Definitely. There's both. So the, the whole idea is um, right now we're focused on, we're in Costa Rica primarily in the blue zone of Costa mm -hmm. Rica. So this area where people live, you know, longer than anywhere in the world, it's just this beautiful place. Um, you know, they're eating all local foods, everything's sourced locally. So our retreats, we're staying at beautiful places. There is air conditioning. Uh, we're not that natural. Um, <laughs> with you know an executive chef great food awesome um 
excursions that are like local things that are, you know, you'll go out for a whole day and go to a volcano with hot springs and mud baths. So it's very much a vacation. Um, there's definitely relaxation built in. We've got yoga um, in the morning. We do sound baths every night. Um, <laughs> so it's um, it's a mix. I didn't want to, I've been on a bunch of retreats trying to like curate this. And we didn't want it to be that it was so intense that you felt like you didn't come back relaxed at all. But what I've said is, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but when I was my most burnt out, I remember I would say to my husband, that's it. I've got to get away for like three or four days. I'm going myself. I'm just doing nothing. Like I'm going to go to a beach. I'm going to read and that's it. So I would do that and I would feel great while I was there for a few days, feel like I was kind of recharging. And then I would come back and within 48 hours, I felt just as overwhelmed because I went back to the same exact patterns and situations I'd left. And so our goal is to try to get people to really deep dive on this stuff while they're with us so that they can go back and bring this change with them and, and really implement it into their lives so that there's real change. This isn't just like a fun five-day vacation, but instead you're going to actually bring a bunch of these tools home with you and hopefully make your life easier. So that's that's our goal. Yeah. Well, I'm impressed you had 48 hours when you got home from any vacation. I feel like I had like three hours and then, you know, walking in the door. But um, what I would say also is you you said that, you know, you had this like, besides the health scare that you ignore or you minimize, it wasn't until it was your child that um, tipped the scales for you. And I will say I had a child who had uh, some health issues uh, when they were about 12. And um, I did have to kind of resituate a lot of my, I was literally in court, like having to run out of court to go to appointments and I would get a call that there was an emergency. And, um, I, I would say it, it really, I still tried to juggle it all. And it's a shame that, uh, a lot of women feel like don't take that deep breath until there's that something that's tipping the scale so much that you, you, can't breathe anymore or you can't uh continue at that level that you are you know yeah that's it's really um what i've what i've been trying to share with people is exactly that like can you can you try to see this now um and yeah make the shift before the emergency happens right because let's hope it's not with your child or your parent or something right because life happens but if you're operating at that level of stress all the time, it's going to catch up with you in some way at some point. It's it's inevitable. And whether and that could even be like your family life's falling apart, right? Because you're just frazzled all the time and your relationship with your kid is suffering. Um, it could be so many different things, but if you stop and realize like you are so overwhelmed that if somebody, you know, knocks on your door, you can't even fathom how you're gonna deal with another thing at work you need to reassess. And so right. many women are running through the day every day like that. Yeah. And I think people are reassessing. I think there's this realization that it doesn't have to be so hard. And um, what I would say to all moms is, um, and you're still in the thick of it, right? Like all your, your youngest is what, eight or nine? He's eight. I'm in the thick of it. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So my kids are, you know, I have three in college, one who graduated. And I'm going to tell you, it doesn't end like your <laughs> kids are in college. If they one calls me and they're sad or sick or, or something disappointed them, it it hurts my heart just as much. But I I jokingly say, like I had with all my kids, like probably a crisis with each of them because that's life. And then, you know, while my kids were teenagers, I got divorced and I thought like, oh my goodness, I'm a, you know, I'm primarily a single mom. The kids always stayed with me 24 seven. They didn't, you know, they would see their dad, but it would be in our, in the, in the home. And then I always kept thinking of, um, oh, it'll get easier when they're in college or it'll get easier when, 
you know, it'll get easier when I have one in college or I have three in college or they're all in college. And I'm just going to tell everyone, like with every cycle of life, there's like other burdens, you know, and I'm going to say, like, I thought I was going to be an empty nester. I, in my mind, was looking forward to the empty nester. And I'm now a primary caregiver to my mother who has dementia. And, you know, I thought parenting was hard. I thought lawyering was hard. Oh, my goodness. This is like truly the hardest thing I've ever been through. I don't think we've been, I don't think I was warned about this being a caregiver to a parent. And so my point is there's always something that's going to be hard in one's life. And if it can't, if you're at the point where you're always going to be thinking that you're gonna break, if one more thing is on your plate, then that's when you have to take back, take a step back. I mean, I think it's amazing, you know, what you're offering to women to be able to hopefully realize it before they're like, you know, completely overwhelmed, exhausted or broken, right? Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's true. I mean, life is like half good and half bad. That's just the way it goes, right? So you know, other things are going to come your way. And if you're already at the point where you feel like you literally can't handle anything else. Um, yeah, that's just it's no way to live. Um, it's not no, fulfilling. There's always something. Always yeah. something. And I think if you're in that space, you're kind of looking for the always something like you're looking at everything negatively. Um, because mm -hmm. you just can't see it any other way. And if instead, like, you know, um, my mom is sick as well, um, similar situation. And I try to say I could be focusing on like the negative hard all the time, but instead I think, you know what, focus on this awesome afternoon you just had where you connected. It felt so great because you might not have that again. You don't know, mm -hmm. you know, so we think things are so hard, but things can get worse. You know, you don't know. So it's like we do it. I, it's the truth. You got to just cherish like, you know, the pieces of, of it that are, um, that are working or the like glimpses you get in a day, something awesome, a great connection you have with someone you love, like just cherish that because those are the things I think that get us through the hard times. Yeah. So where are you now living in your, I can see your beautiful uh, backdrop of uh, woods New and Hampshire. trees. New Hampshire. Gotcha. It's, it's awesome. And um, so how many trips do you do? I, I was curious where you take out, where your trips are, but you said it's mainly in Costa Rica right now. It's mostly in Costa Rica right now. They're generally like about every eight weeks, although the schedule's, um, shifts once in a while based on our availability um mm -hmm. we are the plan is to expand the plan is going to be to hire other coaches um because we've created this program and we'll have other people that can run the program and we want to be able to offer way more of these retreats in a lot of different places but i wanted to first dial it in and make sure that we had everything as good as we could get it before we brought other people in and expanded um, cause it's difficult every time you try to find a new location, you've got to build up again, all the vendors, you know, make sure that, um, everything is how you want it and it takes work, but the, the idea will be ultimately to expand. Gotcha. And I'm going to ask, cause I don't, I, I could see this coming. You said that you have a specific program. Is there a book coming out too? <laughs> Not yet, but maybe someday. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> no, I'm just as I as I like to say, I'm focused on the law firm and building the practice. And you know, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna share that today is my five year anniversary. And, Congratulations! Uh, That's great. Is, thank you. And it started with just me, and now I'm proud to say that I have uh, two full-time assistants, both uh, college graduate young women who are criminal justice majors and they thought about law school. They're still thinking about law school. They're young. They're like young 20s. And uh, I have a new associate with me for about six months and I'm sort of thrilled about just building the business. I have talked about this. I really enjoyed the marketing uh, that I didn't know I was able to do. You know, because as a public defender, you never 
you don't have to market yourself. Um, but I love that. And I love the Mighty Mark podcast. And uh, the only other focus is teaching right now. I enjoy teaching. I look forward to doing CLEs. I'm doing some in the spring. And uh, that's really my focus, you know, but it's all good. Um, even uh, even the uh, uh, taking care of the mom, um, it's, it's hard, but it's good. Um, I just, when I was talking about it, it was more about like, I just didn't know. Like that's, you know, people talk about when you're, when you're pregnant, people talk to you about having kids and raising kids and you, you might not really know, but you sort of know, but the taking care of the parents is like something that uh, I think people don't talk about because it is hard. Yeah, I agree that you you don't feel prepared. And it felt for me like when this stage of life came, it almost seems like it happened overnight. Um, in terms of like the, the role shifting with our parents. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's the other thing is that, um, I'm really now the mom to my mom, you know, and, uh, you know, she's good in a lot of ways. She can take care of her own needs and get dressed and feed herself and, you know, but, um, you know, I give her her medicine and it's just even little things. I laugh at it, but she'll be like, I'm not supposed to be taking this. And I'm like, no, no, this is your medicine. And then she like, will argue with me. And then I'm like, mom, <laughs> do you think I'm giving you the wrong medicine? And she's like, no, no, no. And it's just like, it's just sort of funny. But uh, yeah, again, it's one of those like um, things that I would I would share with other people because it's just something unexpected and just something that I do think that, that you get to a point in life where it's hard because we're sort of sandwiched into being caregivers to our children and caregivers to our parents. And, uh, you know, it's just an extra layer of responsibility. And for people that are the captains of their families or type A personalities, it's just one more responsibility. It's true. And you know, you just, <clears throat> excuse me, you're the one that just takes it upon yourself, right? Like it's sort of seems with that type of personality, everybody looks to you um, to make those decisions. And, and here you are, you're the one doing it. So it's, it's yeah. hard, but you're right. No one talks about it. And it's, it's helpful to talk about these things because at least I, I would have felt more prepared for so many things in midlife if, if they had just been talked about a little bit more. Right. Which is what's so great about your, your new company and the retreats and the fact that it's, it's all women who are, I like what you said, high achieving women that, you know, hopefully they're, uh, they're participating before they had the, uh, the total, uh, overwhelms moment. Exactly. That's the goal. So, well, I wish you all the success in the world. Um, I'm definitely going to look at the uh, uh, website, and uh, I do know a lot of women that fit into this category, Tracy. I'm sure you do, too. I do. Feel free to share. Yes, I do. Um, there are a lot of lawyers that fit into this category. So. I know, but I, I jokingly say, like, all my mom friends when my babies were little, like they were all like whether they were doctors or rabbis or working at hospitals or lawyers, they were all like ridiculously high achieving. And yep. um and I've talked to many of them and you know, there have been things at where we are now that they have said like they needed to take a time I'm gonna call it a timeout. They needed a timeout to to breathe and focus on that, what could bring them peace and happiness again. It yes. almost got lost in the mix. Yeah, I think it does get lost in the mix because we're all, we're so busy and then we're trying to do everything so perfectly and we all seem to forget about ourselves, right? Like it's the last thing you think of. And if you are not doing well, it's really hard to be <laughs> leading, right? Everyone else effectively. Right. All right. So I'm going to ask you the questions that I ask most people at the end, most of my lawyer friends. I know you, you left the practice of law, um, but would you recommend 
to a college student who said, I'm interested in becoming a lawyer, what would your words of advice be to them? Yes. Um, I loved being a lawyer. I still say that I am not going to say that I'm not going to try any more cases. Like life could be very different in five or 10 years. And I may decide that I want to try some cases again. Um, if you know, the only thing I always caution people is just, are you sure you want to do this? You know, like try to shadow somebody, get some idea of something you might really want to do. Um, whether it's civil, criminal, whatever it is, so that you know what it really is. Um, because it's a huge investment financially and time-wise. And it seems mm -hmm. that a lot of people just say, oh, I want to be a lawyer, but they don't really know like what they're getting into. I loved mm -hmm. it and I absolutely speak super highly of it, but I, I've seen a lot of people n not want to do it once they you know, spent all that money on law school and then get to a big firm and realize they hate it. Um, and that's a shame and it can be avoided if you could just spend a little bit time on the front end making sure that it's something you really want to do and, and there's so many people that are willing to have you come shadow a day at work and and do things like that just to have a good idea that's the only thing i would i would suggest that people do but i think it's a wonderful career right and you're right so many lawyers will allow you to to follow them and will mentor you you know mm -hmm. um so that's my one question. And my second question is my last question is, do you have a crazy courtroom story that you could share quickly? Something that uh, people probably would not believe, but really did happen. Hey, yeah, I do actually <laughs> say that. Um, I was in court one day, I'm not gonna use any names. And a defense attorney was irate about something with a judge in Philly, of course, in state court. And they got into it like they were literally screaming at each other, the judge and this attorney, and the judge threatened to throw him in the back and the Philly courtrooms have the jail cell like right in the courtroom. And he flipped out and he's like, go ahead, throw me. I've been back there before. I don't, I mean, it was wild. Um, he did not put him in the back, but it was so close and it, it was just crazy. Like, it, unless you'd been there, you wouldn't believe the way they were speaking to each other. Were the sheriff's officers surrounding the lawyer? They weren't totally surrounding him, but they were like moving up. You know, it was, it was heated. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. I once, I, I've told this before, but I once was threatened to be thrown in the back at, uh, at the courthouse because I, rolled my eyes one too many times at the judge that day. Oh, wow. I've rolled my eyes many a time in a courtroom. <laughs> it's hard to control sometimes. It is, but I learned that I was like 26, 27. And yeah. you know, when, when, when you have a judge threatening and, and said, I will throw you in the back and you will need your supervisor to explain what medical <laughs> condition you have. That it was- That's a yeah, good one. So yeah so well again good luck i'm so glad we got to connect and uh i really am excited for you about this opportunity because i i do think it is uh needed and uh i'm gonna as i said i'm gonna look i might reach out to you and uh book a trip That's to costa rica well we'd love to have you it'd be great to see you and uh, thanks so much for having me and good luck and congratulations on your five-year anniversary Thank you. That's why I have those beautiful flowers behind me. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take my office now to go celebrate. Uh, we'll have fun. Thank you.